Good to be here with you guys. I'm Jesse. I'm my pastoral resident here. Mark is away, as Brian said. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, so if you want to make your way to Psalm 51. And before we get that, I want to just tell a quick story and set up where we're going to be this morning. Well, I grew up in California, and my parents taught me to drive, just like any good parent when I was 15. And something about my parents is they drive really, really fast. I'm not making this up. They drive in a very scary way. And when you're in California, there's a mantra that you need to drive fast, you're going to perish. Like, it's just, everybody's aggressive there. And so I was raised to drive aggressive, okay? I'm not trying to blame my parents, but I am this morning, okay? So I drove fast, and I was one of those kids in college that got away with speeding a lot. Like, I was the person that you drove with that got pulled over by a cop, and I got a warning. Like, you know those people that, like, you realize, like, they should probably get a speeding ticket, but they don't? Yeah, I was that person. All up until one point after college, I got pulled over and I finally got a speeding ticket. And it was like the worst experience. You get the fine. And honestly, the worst part about getting a ticket is the driving school that you have to go. And I'm not even making it up. I went to this driving school where you spend like seven hours in this like hotel lobby and you're hanging out. And I'm serious. We spent five hours introducing ourselves. And it's like this just weird experience. You're wasting time. You have to be there. And I just remember like we applauded people as they like, you know, celebrated them, them breaking the law. And it was just this awkward experience. We had this older guy in Littleton who was like, yeah, I, like, re- I was taking this rental car that wasn't mine. I didn't have a license. And I was going 90 miles per hour. And we're all just like applauding. It was the most like wasted time that I ever experienced in my life. And something happened when I got a ticket. I slowed down for a bit. My driving got better for like two weeks. I started changing my behavior, right? I, I didn't want to go through it because I was, you know, in that misery and upsetness. And I think what's worth saying is that I wasn't actually like upset or broken over the fact that I broke the law. I was upset that I, that I got caught. I was upset that I had to experience the consequences of what that entailed. And I think as we think about this psalm, it's, it's going to be David's prayer of repentance. I think this is sometimes how we think about sin in our lives. We often don't mourn, we don't grieve over the sin itself. We mourn over the consequences of sin. There's a Christian philosopher and author, Dallas Willard. He's really smart, much smarter than me. I can barely understand it. But there's this quote that uh, really impacted me, and I, and I heard that. I want to read this to you. It says, he says this, It is common to hear Christians talk about their brokenness, but when you listen closely, you may discover that they are talking about their wounds, the things that they have suffered, and not about the evil that is in them. And I remember reading that quote and just kind of felt like that conviction because I, I think in my own life, and this is a silly example, and I can apply that in all sorts of uh, real areas where sin um, has you know, def- really hurt my life, that that's, that can be my mentality. And that might be you this morning. When we think about our actions and we think about, you know, anger or our words or the people that we hurt, it might be something simple like a speeding ticket, but it might be something even more severe within our works, so an integrity issue, something in your marriage, some kind of addiction that we keep. We sometimes justify our behavior because there's no consequences or we don't think there are consequences. And we, we might express remorse and we might express disappointment when we face those consequences. And I think that while culture might teach us that sometimes sin is situational, it's subjective, the scriptures teach us the exact opposite. And I believe this, that in order for repentance to happen, that we have to be honest about sin and have an, a, a proper understanding of what sin really does. And this morning as we look at Psalm 51, I want to begin by asking an important question for you. 
Do you grieve over sin and feel its brokenness for how God sees it? Or do you simply mourn over the consequences and fall out of your sin? And that distinction might seem small this morning, but it makes all the difference. Because repentance is impossible, as we're going to read in David. Repentance is impossible until we are able to look at sin the way God looks at sin. Repentance is impossible until we grieve over the way God grieves over our sin. And yes, like we read in the scripture, that David is considered a man after God's own heart. But time and time again, we see that David messes up badly. He sins big time. But he shows us a pattern of what of the true, genuine, and godly repentance looks like. As you look at, at Psalm 51, you might notice that there's context before verse 1. You might be very familiar with this story. We say it a lot in church. And I just want to briefly recap it just to familiarize ourselves this morning. But we know from the context, right, this psalm is written by David. It's a dark time of his life. David stays home from his palace. He doesn't go to war when the time that kings go to war. David stays. He sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing. And David, being king, pulls a few strings. He has her brought. He sleeps with her. Everything's fine. He thinks he could just cover it up. Ends up being pregnant. He tries to get Uriah, her husband, who's on the front line right now, battling to to come back. Uriah, being a a righteous man, decides not. He can't do that. He's got. I'm I'm supposed to be fighting the army. I can't. I can't be here. And so David has Uriah has Uriah sentenced and killed. He marries Bathsheba. Everything's fine. And it's not like some moment that like David comes back and just feels his conviction. In fact, God has to send a prophet to, to get a hold of David's attention. The prophet Nathan has to come and tell him a story about a rich man taking and taking and taking. And David's like, gets so enraged from the story. He's like, who is that man? And Nathan says, you are that man. You are that man. And David writes this psalm as he grieves and faces the consequences of his sinful choices and writes this psalm of repentance. And so I want to read the first two verses and we'll unpack just a few parts of this psalm this morning. David says this in verse one. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. David offers this prayer of repentance. It's this raw, authentic prayer. And I I think it actually serves as a template for us about repentance. And I, I want to point out that David immediately points to God's steadfast love. It's a, a common phrase. It's, it's appealing to God's covenantal love. It's deep. It's, it's not just some one-time thing, but it's God's covenant. And I think this is important as we think about repentance because I believe this first, that repentance is firmly rooted in God's character and promises. It's rooted in God's character and promises. When sin is exposed in our life, we often hide We often make excuses. We often blame shift. We often see it as sometimes the worst thing that can happen in our lives. Rather than seeing it as an opportunity, as a glimpse of God's grace in our lives. And often, just like David, it's, it's this pruning and sanctifying thing that happens in our lives when our sin is exposed. And David here appeals to God's love, his covenantal love which speaks to the unconditional nature of it and undeserved nature. 
And this is just like our covenant with our, the grace that we have in Christ. There's this undeserved thing, an unconditional, but yet David still knows he belongs. There's still belonging. He still knows he can come before God. And I don't think we can emphasize that point enough because repentance is, is a scary thing. Sin, when it's exposed, we run right from the beginning of the garden in Genesis 3. We see that. Adam sins, Eve takes a thing, and Adam immediately points to Eve and says, it's the woman you gave me, she took the fruit. And, and God's like, why are you hiding? What, where are you going, right? Because sin, this is what it does. When it's exposed, we run. Because it's shameful. And yet David here appeals to God's covenantal love because he still knows he belongs. He still belongs. And I think this is foundational as we think about a church or a culture of repentance. That us too, our tendency is to run and hide. Because we fear being cast out. We fear condemnation. If people only knew the sins that deep down. We fear this exposure of being, being exposed for who we really are. And I feel like the world often teaches that this never-ending cycle that we have to make people think we're pretty good. We put on this image, we put on this projection that we're trying to make people feel like, hey, we're, we're pretty good. I, I do a pretty good job. And these crucible moments that happen, this is a crucible moment in David's life where he is exposed. Exposed big time. But yet it's an act of grace that his sin is exposed. And he can either run toward God or he can run away from God. But he doesn't wallow in shame. He knows that he still belongs. The church has a terrible reputation for this. We often shoot our wounded. We have a reputation for being the least safe place in the world to be honest about our sin. That if I was to truly admit the things that I struggle with, that I would be cast aside. I would be put to shame. And this isn't the idea of what happens when we come to the Father in heaven. We belong because of what Jesus has done. We belong because, and we can confess our sin, and we come back with repentance because he still loves us. It doesn't mean it's easy, but yet this should be a safe place because we are family. We are community. We are a church. And I believe this, that repentance is born in a culture where belonging is still possible. Because when there's shame, right, there's no, there's no opportunity. We just hide. We just burrow deeper. And I think, sadly, this has become the place where we condemn sinners and we kind of puff ourselves by this superficial spirituality. I remember being in college and we were in college like doing uh, out, outreach ministries and I had a friend that, you know, was talking about his high school experience. He was on leadership in, in, in youth ministry and stuff like that. And he was a small group. He was just in high school, but he was senior. And he, I always remember this story that's like riveting me because he, he, you know, they're sharing about their struggles and things like that. And he opened up to the youth leader at the time that, hey, you know, I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with a porn addiction right now. I'm struggling, I'm struggling in this area. And he would recall the story of his small group leader just shaking his head. Like, I can't believe you struggle with that. And just the, the shame of that moment. And I feel like as I talk to a lot of uh, people as an RA on my floor in college, this was a common experience. And it was just condemnation and judgment, which sort of stops the, the, us from continuing that path of repentance because we're honestly just scared. No one wants to open up if there's just going to be condemnation and shame. And I love just David's start here. He appeals to God's love. He knows he's unworthy. He knows he's, sin he's sinning. He knows he's broken, but yet there's still this belonging. There's still this family. And I think how much should that define us as a church in our small groups and our, our conversations? That there should be still love and belonging. 
One of the scariest things that you could do when I was a kid was, you know, uh, honestly owning up to my sin before my dad. It's like the most scary thing, right? Like, you know, hey, dad, this is what I, you know, I messed up here. You know, I, I, I uh, broke curfew when I was in high school. You know, went out late, was with my friends. You know, and I got away with it. And, you know, one time I had to, you know, open up my dad and, and, and talk to that. But there's, there's that scary moment. And, and many of you can recall that moment. But there's, there's that love and that belonging with my dad. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's not painful. And here's where David starts. He continues in verse 3. We'll read down to verse 5. He says this, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And we see that David has grown a lot in his psalm because what does David do when he first sins? He hides it. He covers it up. He, relati- he rel- relativizes it. He is just kind of putting it to b- bed, right? Nothing's going to happen. He gets it. He finally gets it exposed. And we see that David comes to a different understanding of repentance in this psalm, right? And in this verses right here, he doesn't, he's not making excuses anymore. He's cutting the charades. He doesn't minimize his actions. He realizes that his sin is in line with his character since the day he was born, And if anybody could have made excuses, David could have, right? And this is what he was doing. He was worn out. I mean, how many, how many years did he spend in the wilderness? How many years did he fight battles? He could have made an excuse. I, I found myself in a, in a compromising situation. I mean, just for a moment, think about the power and, and temptation of his station. You know, it wasn't, wasn't my fault that, you know, she was bathing and I was on the roof. You know, it's, she's beautiful. It's, it's a natural thing. I was, you know, I was lonely, It was only one time. I didn't mean any harm. All these excuses that David could have turned to. Instead, we see in this psalm that David comes to understanding of sin. He's honest. He's real about it. And he goes even further and says, nothing that he committed was outside his character. From birth, I was born in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Bless you. And I think what David's trying to say is we are capable of doing terrible things. We are capable as sinful creatures that from birth that we are, we are born. And depending on the situation, depending on our circumstances, right? Like we are, we are capable of far worse things than we could ever think of. And I think sometimes we as like believers, like we point fingers and we look at people like, oh my gosh, like can you believe what they did? These people in leadership, like can you believe in that situation? And David's really trying to get out and try to drive home these verses saying, man, like we are so capable of such worse things that we can ever think of. That many of us have never even been in situations where uh, we've been tempted in, in, in these ways. And, but this is the power of sin that David's starting to recognize. And, and in verse 4, he says something very insightful about sin that I think we often miss. That I feel like I miss all the time in my life. He says this, that I've, I sin against you, God, and you alone. And sometimes we have like this lower view of sin. We like reduce it to mistakes, reduce it to um, just these things that I like, hurt other people. And we kind of like lose track that actually we're breaking God's word, but we're also trampling on his heart. That sin is this foundational reality. It's breaking God's laws, breaking his rules. As Martin Luther said, you never break the other commandments unless you break the first commandment. That they all stem from that first commandment, you know, having no other gods before me. 
And David started to understand this. Yes, it was a sin against Uriah. Yes, it was a sin against Bathsheba. Yes, he let his country down. But he sinned before God. He was supposed to represent something as the king. His actions were his, out of a worship situation because he didn't honor his God the way he was supposed to. And he tried to justify himself. And finally in the Psalms, he owns it. He recognizes what it was, what sin is, and our capacity for it. And so often we justify our actions, we justify our mistakes, we justify our sins. Because, you know, as long as we have good intentions, as long as no harm is done, you know, we try hard, it's no big deal. But David understands that no matter what sin that we have and whatever sin you're, we're struggling with, the things that we do, like God sees. And we're hurting his heart. We're hurting our relationship with him. Follow me down to verse 16. He says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David first recognizes, hey, repentance is there's belonging still. This is, this is where he comes. He appeals to God's covenantal love. David recognizes that he can't make excuses. He needs to own it. He needs to own his sin completely before God. And finally, I think I want to emphasize this. I think, I think he, emphasized, he realizes that brokenness is what God is looking for, right? Brokenness. These are the sacrifices of God that, that he's not going to despise. And I think, unfortunately, when we, when we sin, we make mistakes, when we feel the consequences, just like in my own life, in my own story, we kind of wallow in self-pity, you ever have that experience, like you mess up and you just kind of go through that shame spiral, like, man, I'm the worst, this stinks, and you kind of like beat yourself up and you try to make like, you know, like some offering to God, like, okay, God, like I'm going to do these three things the next month and, you know, we're going to be good again. It's this self-pity, which is still about you. It's still this like obsession with the self. It's still self-absorption. It's riding the waves of our emotions. It's trying to make, uh, make the necessary demands, right? Like, okay, God, like, we're going to, you know, have, like, some kind of deal. But the problem is, like, toxic remorse, like, having this, like, self-pity, wallowing in our shame, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't actually help us reconcile our relationship with God. It just kind of hurts yourself. And honestly, it just looks like you're throwing yourself a pity party. That's not what God is saying. There's this idea of brokenness, this idea of, of coming to an understanding of what sin is, what sin does. Seeing the way God sees sin and seeing it not as some excuse, not some mistake, but seeing it as toxic, seeing it as damaging and coming to this heartfelt reality and brokenness over the sin. Because sin breaks down everything. Sin breaks our relationships. Sin is what breaks this world. Sin is what breaks our relationships with people. If we were to be honest and take just a glimpse of this world around us, we would understand that so much of excuses that we make, but so much of the brokenness and the pain. We might think like greed or pride or selfishness or those moments that we have with addictions, they have no effect but we live in a world that is just absolutely broken with slavery, sex slaves across the world, oppression, starvation. 
We need to see sin for what it is and be broken over, not for the consequences, not for when we get caught, but having a culture of repentance. Because David comes before God because it's belonging. And I pray that we as a church would have that. There's belonging here. That we, if we were to have a culture of repentance, that we understand there's belonging. It doesn't mean, it, it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't, it, it should mean it's safe. It doesn't mean it has to be easy because we love each other and we love each other too much to let, to let sin reign. And second, for us, that means also like we need to own our, our, our sins. We need to own the mistakes. We need to own those things that we don't want to confess. We don't want to own those things. We, we justify, we make excuses all the time. And I'm the worst person to do that. I make so many excuses. I justify my actions so much. Well, God, I'm serving you, I'm loving you. Like, it's okay. Like, I can, I can justify these different things. And I pray that God would convict our hearts that we would be broken over the sins in our lives and that we'd see them for the way they are. They, they break God's heart and they, they are breaking the people in our lives. Because maybe the biggest lie the enemy gives us is that this sin is just no big deal. Right, that, that sin, is, it, sin doesn't really hurt anybody. Like this is just your own business. But that's not true. And finally, this, this idea of like sin that dwells in our heart, like the, God, the, the gospel says this a lot. Like it's about, our, it's about joy. It's about joy. Having this sin in our life, like these, right? Like God wants to have joy and it comes through having a culture of repentance. It's coming through having patterns in our own life with repentance. I want to I dodge back to verse 10 and read verse 12. David says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That it's only through a, a culture of continual repentance that we can experience the joy, just like David, the joy of our salvation. Because it was by God's grace that, that he revealed David's sin. He was exposed. He was, and it could have just caused David to spiral in this like shame spiral and like woe is me and, and brokenness. But God brought David to his knees only to restore him, his joy. Because David came before God. He confessed it fully. He owned his sin. And this is our hope this morning as we think about this psalm. And it's only through repentance and having our hearts cleansed by the gospel the joy is possible. Because we are so good at putting on the mask. We are so good at fooling others. Like we're so good at like downplaying. Even when we confess, we're like so good at like, well, like I have it under control. Like it's all good. But we can't fool God. And to be honest, we're fooling ourselves this morning. We're hurting ourselves this morning because sin is damaging. It hurts our joy. It's ironic the New City Catechism talked about sin. I was reading this quote by Piper and he says, what is sin? He says this, is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed. It's the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved, that is sin. So I pray that we need a gospel culture in our churches that allow us to repent. That this is a continual thing because we are prone to sin, we are prone to wander, but that we are rooted in God's covenantal love, the grace, the gospel of Jesus, right? The cross, the blood, that we are safe, there is no condemnation. 
That this should be the safest place that we come and repent. Like we should be our biggest cheerleaders in community. And as I said before, it doesn't mean it's easy. But it's safe because we are loved and we belong. And second, we learn from David that we need to stop making excuses, stop blame shifting because repentance starts when blame shifting ends. And what excuses are you making in your life? What excuses do we make? Who are we blaming? Are we blaming our family, our family, our spouses that they made me do it? Are we blaming, maybe sometimes we blame God. Your circumstances, I hear this one a lot, my, my addictive personality. My question this morning is what, is it, what does it look like to fully own those sins in your life, to come before God and maybe even come before the people in your community, to just own it. And maybe this week that means writing it down. Just like what David did. Before you, God, here's my sin. I'm not going to blame other people. I'm not going to make excuses. And finally, in our own lives, is there time that we reflect and think about sin? Do we grieve over the sin in our lives? As you think about your own life, what you're experiencing, do we actually grieve over the mistakes, the things that we're going through, or just the consequences? And I think one of the greatest lies is just this idea that sin doesn't affect other people. Or thinking about your own sin of your life right now, like if it didn't have any effect on anybody, if you never got caught, like would you be even that upset about it? Would you even feel that broken about it? And I think as I thought about that question for my own life, it's like, it felt pretty convicting because it was like, oh yeah, like I don't, Wow. <laughs> Like, that's humbling. And so I pray that God would continue to expose us, expose our hearts by his grace in our community. And I pray that we would be a a, a community of of grace and gospel and we'd push each other towards that in our communities and love. Because I believe that this is where David says, because it's about our joy. Because only through continual repentance that we can experience the joy of our salvation. And we are prone to wander, we are prone to leave, we are sinful creatures, but we belong and we are loved. And this is what the gospel commands us to do. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace. That God, you love us too much. You love us too much to to just let us go on with our, our sin. And sometimes we need intervention. We need you to expose that. Even how uncomfortable that is. Even though sometimes that just feels so shameful. That God, it's only in those moments that you reveal, just like in David's life, it's only in those moments that you can begin to change and transform us. But we thank you that you've given us a community, you've given us your church. You've given us, Jesus, where we belong as your family. That you will not despise the broken and contrite heart that comes before you. Because God, we're safe in your arms. So I pray this week as we look into our hearts, God, you continue to expose those things. Expose those areas that we are weak. Expose those areas that we are wandering. Expose those areas that we are are justifying and making excuses. And would you lead us to repentance over and over and over and over again? Because when we're we're real about our sin, Lord, grace can become grace. And you can restore to us the joy of our salvation. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.